This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to the online broadcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a cyber criminal. I committed several different types of cybercrime online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, went to prison. And since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the type of person I used to be. Well, I feel like we're finally getting into the hang of it for this season. Yes, we are. <laughs> Despite all of our, you know, conflicting travel and projects and everything else, we're getting into the groove. I really exactly. appreciate your flexibility. And the last week or two of my life has been a bit That's insane. Right. Um, but this is a huge priority to both of us. So we make it happen. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. I actually got um, a random question from a merchant the other day that I actually forgot to run past you before we got okay. on the air. But I, I don't know the answer, answer, I'll lie and hope he believes me. <laughs> Actually, I think he will because it's very subjective. So the question was just, what's the, what's the most uncommon thing or type of merchant we've seen online be defrauded? Um, so I can go first. Do you know what I'm talking, do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah cause I think we've said on past episodes like that anytime a company offers goods or services, criminals can use that to defraud them. And sure. I will say that prior to mm, about a, six months to a year ago, my answers would have been one of two things, either um, a company that used to be really popular for um, shipping steaks and other meat products around the country. And well, shit, the I used to do that all the time. Uh -huh, I know. <laughs> and I remember the first time I went to a conference and I was like, really, those guys have fraud. Oh yeah. And now, I mean, you and I talked about it a lot in the last season too, like obviously companies that ship food or deliver food are very high risk and um not high risk that's not the right word but it, they're very attractive to fraudsters for yeah. card testing primarily but some account takeover etc um and then another one i saw was um like million it wasn't millions but it was like two hundred thousand yellow highlighters from a small merchant oh. and it just cleaned them out and this was like 10 years ago but i was like why would, and then bibles was another thing i I saw when I was on the um, processing side and, you know, looking at lots of different merchants um, and their activity, but I got a call from a merchant last year that, um, I don't know, had found me through Google or something in front of friend. I don't know, but um, they just, I never ended up working with them officially in a consulting project because I had a full plate at the time, but um, they sold, um, car parts for school buses and okay. um uh tour buses that kind of thing like very very specialized and they sure. were very very expensive and they were getting a lot of um orders for just random bus parts and then i think selling them on craigslist and things like that for a discounted price but that just surprised me because there's so much shipping that goes into that and like <laughs> You know, it's big and bulky <laughs> and the audience is special, is very, you know, small. It's not the same as like getting a brand new laptop and being able to fence that. Oh, you're right. Um, so those are the ones I'm thinking of right now. But I guess, I mean, I probably know of hundreds of merchants who have fraud that other people would say, why do they have fraud? At <laughs> <laughs> the time when I tell my family, like the companies I'm working with at the current time, they're like, they have credit card but yes they do <laughs> yes yes as a matter of fact they do yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just so my clients know i just say it like one one with my family like extended family like aunts and stuff not putting it out anywhere <laughs> well you know it's it's that whole process of 
where where can you find a place that has something that is of value that doesn't have a lot of security around it? That's the mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, you know, bus parts, who thinks of that? Right. <laughs> $50,000 industrial generators, who thinks yeah. of that? That's what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so $50,000 generators oh, being, wow. uh, being stolen. And uh, they were shipping them out. Absolutely, yeah. they were shipping them out. So that's uh, well. A lot of those small companies that have big dollar, they don't realize the credit card rules because, for the most part, they've been doing B two B for years, right. and they're very trusting of right. who contacts them. A lot of them don't have anything in place, and it's a really big hit when they've sent a fifty thousand dollar generator or yeah. a thirty thousand dollar bus part exactly. to someone that they can't, you know, recuperate, and they've lost the money too. Yeah. So, and and think of it from the criminal point of view. Okay. I've got the generator. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it, but I do know it costs Mm $50,000. So then you probably post ads for it to be like what? 25 K 30 K. Yeah. You you start looking around on who uses the generators is what you do. Then you start contacting those people from that point. Are you doing that before you buy the generator or you, you know, order some, the generator or not? It honestly, sometimes it really, it just depends. I mean, it can be, I used to on a whim card stuff like that just to see if it was possible. And then you get something like that in and you're like, what the hell am I going to do with this? <laughs> right. So you sit on it for a half a year until you figure out what to do with it. So it, <laughs> it could be anything like that. Wow. And yeah, I, I just thought it was an interesting question. So I thought it was a good way to yeah, start. Yeah, it's a good the, question. I like that. Start the episode in lieu of a what the fraud this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back with what the fraud segment next week. Um, so this week we thought that we would talk a little bit about some of the phone scams that are going on right now. Um, they're impacting consumers. They're impacting online merchants. They're impacting um, physical goods retailers. Uh, they're, I think phone scams have been around since uh, probably the beginning of time, but yep. um, especially, I mean, you used to do them as well. Um, right. You know, socially engineered to try to get information from um, a potential victim or, um, you know, and in this case, I'm mostly talking about phone skims that impact consumers, um, but they also impact merchants as well. So what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, when we're talking about phone scams, we're talking about people that call into um, a call center and place an order or socially engineer um, the customer service agent, like we discussed in the season finale of the first season um, right. in our live episode. So um, that's one way of phone scams, but this in particular is you know scamming consumers, and it can be for anything from like wiring money to um, money transfers to you know whatever their their end game can be different. It can also just be to gather data. Um, something that's happening a lot right now, especially to retailers that have physical locations um, and especially well-known brand names is scammers calling the elderly, especially and um, scaring them and making them think that they owe a lot of money to the IRS or the secret or sorry, not secret service, sorry, social security administration. (laughs) Um, They both have SS. So I get them. These are in the U S um, Primarily, but um, it's unfortunately a lot of people in the elderly generation are trusting. You know, they grew up in World War II times where everyone bound band together, and um, they think that if somebody's calling them, that it's legitimate. Um, and so they are trusting and genuinely believe that the the Social Security Administration or um, the IRS is going to put them in jail or fine them significantly if they don't buy X number of, you know, whatever the um, dollar value of the gift card is um, for a specific merchant. And then the point is they do that either at a grocery store that has, you know, a big um, kind of freestanding kiosk in the grocery store with multiple retailers, you know, hundreds of them or by going into those stores and then they're called back and they have to read off the scratch off the numbers and read off the numbers on the back. This is impacting retailers so much. I can't even, I, there's no dollar value that I know of. I mean, but I, I know of one retailer that's, you know, everyone would know it. If I said it, they had somebody who bought 104, it was an elderly woman who went into their um, physical stores and was coached to buy multiple in different stores, not just buy all of them in one store, but it was a grand total of 140 $500 gift cards. 
You got to love that. That's like over $60,000. Yeah. yeah, you got to love that. Well, yeah, if you're a criminal, you love yeah. that. But if you're the well, merchant and, and that person's out that money and like, what, what are you supposed to do? I mean, it's because in this case, if it's card present, it's primarily the issuing bank or the cardholder that are on the hook. Sure. Um, depending on the country we're in. But depending on the country and also depending on how the transaction was right. processed, if it was 3D secure. See, I would say, I would say that a woman comes in, I don't care if it's multiple locations or not. I would say a victim comes in and buys $140, $500 gift cards. I would say that somewhere the merchant's got some culpability on that. Well, that's something that they're trying to figure out because- yeah. It's challenging when you have hundreds, thousands, usually um, customer service agents that are generally making, you know, around minimum wage Mm -hmm. to train all of them on asking the questions that need to be asked in order to, you know, protect your company and your customers and especially your brand. Um, Because a lot of times people who fall for this aren't going to blame the scammers as much as they're going to blame the the name brand because that's what they know. Um, you know, that's where the parties that they know, they don't you know the scammers long gone at this point. Um, so there are some companies who are starting to implement training programs or memos to their teams out in the field, uh, to say, you know, here's some suspicious behavior. Here's what to look for. This is, you know, what to say. The problem is there are other companies and I know you're going to love this who don't want their employees to be trained. The fraud department will try and try and try, but they're like, no, we don't want any friction. There's that F word that you love so much. Um, (laughs) But, um, well, one of the F words you also like fraud up. (laughs) (laughs) I like several F words. Oh, I know. (laughs) As do I when we're not recording. Um, (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, so I, you know, that's a problem. Um, I actually posted a picture of um, a sign I saw at Target um, in New York City that I posted it on LinkedIn. And I think it had like over 10,000 views or something like that. Cause everyone sure. was like, this is brilliant. Um, where it was just a little sign by the um, checkout that said, you know, are you buying a gift card? If so, is it for someone that you know? Right. Um, you know, just so you know, there's a scam happening right now where people are, you know, and they educated their customers. Sure. I think everyone knows I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, and I sent that also to a couple of the companies that had reached out to me about like, what do we do with this? How do we stop it? Um, saying, I think the best way is to educate your customers. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Another example of a company that's taking it pretty seriously is Walmart. Um, There was an article in cardnotpresent.com February 6th um, about a case in Utah, which I know um, law enforcement, especially federal law enforcement in Utah, um, has a good reputation and the attorneys general as well of taking on fraud cases, um, fraud and cybersecurity cases more than other states. Um, I will say, I mean, the state of Washington does a fair amount of that as well. And that's where I live. But, um, I know it's just kind of common knowledge that if you're going to commit cybercrime, don't do it in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if, I don't know. I I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that's common knowledge, but (laughs) is it, is that something that you knew Brett or have known or? No, it's, uh, you know, Utah's interesting because other than the big cities, you don't really have much. So you, right. to, to concentrate for criminals to operate in an area like that's problematic. Mm-hmm. All right. Because it's, it's all centered in that one area and law enforcement can just have their efforts right there in, in that center. Most of, most of the time. 
So that's, right. that becomes the issue at that point. Right. That's um, probably partially why it's of interest. Yeah. You know, um, what's, what's kind of interesting, and you mentioned senior citizens, yeah. millennials, millennials are, of course, the number one target. They, huh. they fall for scams much more than senior citizens do. You know, they are the number one hit demographic for, for online scams and crime for really? some odd reason. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I would say they're pretty trusting about what's on the internet too, though, because they yeah. grew up with it natively. And so I think, yeah, maybe it, that's why I, I missed the millennial mark by yeah. I don't know, a few years, right. a, more, a, a couple and, more than a few. You know, and, I, and you know, I worked <laughs> so I can with say a, they, not me. <laughs> you know, I worked with a telecommunications company recently, mm-hmm. and we were talking about phone frauds. And the thing that I, I pointed out is that, you know, it, it's, it's about building layers hmm. is how phone fraud works. Okay. You mean to commit it or to prevent it? To commit it mm-hmm. and to prevent it as well. Right, right. But to, to commit it from the criminal point of view, it starts, of course, with the phone number. That spoofed phone number is what it starts with. You know, mm-hmm. you, you like it to show a sheriff's office or social security administration or the IRS or whoever you're trying to scare. You know, you're, you're, you want to tailor the call toward that. Or if you're talking to a merchant, you want to just show the, the cardholder's phone number or what have you. So that, that's, that's like the foundation of these scams. Without that phone number showing through to begin with, the criminal has a lot of trouble building the rest of that house of cards for fraud to, to occur. All right. Mm-hmm. So it, and understand that, that when you have the phone number, it's not as easy from a criminal point of view. It's not as easy as simply calling in, spoofing a phone number. The victim sees the IRS on there. And then you all of a sudden say, Hey, I need money. No, you have, you have to get the victim. And, and we have a lot of call centers with the IRS that have a, have a script that they go through and it's a numbers game, but for a more tailored approach, you have to be able to read that victim and then you have to build those layers, build that rapport with the victim and get the victim either scared or anxious or needing or whatever they, the, the emotion is that drives that victim into giving money up at that point. But it mm-hmm. still all begins with, with the phone number. And then you build the layers on top of that until you get to the point where the victim is handing over the money. Right. Okay. Right. And I, I know I mean, I obviously know which telecommunications company you're talking about, sure. but that doesn't matter. But um, I'm wondering what types of things can those cell companies provide? What can the phone, you know, hardware, company, like what are things that can help in identifying that a number was spoofed or that? Well, you know, Canada's passing, passing a law that goes into effect later this year hmm. that on the caller ID, it must show if the number is spoofed. Huh. So that's great. That's great. It's wonderful. And that, that right. And there, that technology so, exists. I know that that technology exists, but what I guess I didn't know is if cell phone providers have it and can provide it to their um, clients easily. I know for me, my phone provider lets me know when a phone number that has been reported as suspected spam is about to call, but that doesn't show that it's spoofed. Right. Right. So that, that's the entire issue is, and, and the technology is out there. And I, I can't talk a lot about that because of the right. NDA, but you know, that, that technology is there. So if you, if you can actually get to the point to where you understand that the number is spoofed, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the elderly person or the millennial, whoever's about to get hit with phone fraud sees on their screen, you know, their, their mobile device or the computer terminal, if it's a merchant sees on there, Hey, you've got an incoming spoofed number not just a voice over IP number, but it's an actual spoofed number. Those packets mm-hmm. have been changed enough to where it's a spoofed number. At that point, it should sow enough paranoia in the recipient of that phone call mm-hmm. that the fraudster has a, a really difficult time perpetrating the fraud. Right. right? It, that should be what goes on. Now, well, and not if, always. <laughs> well, right. And if that technology isn't available, the next best thing is for consumers to know that caller ID can't be trusted. And to always have a personal policy, I certainly do, that whenever someone calls me, I, A, do not provide payment for anything um, over the phone ever, even if it's like my doctor's office. I'm like, you know what? I'll call you right back on the number that I know. Um, And I'm like, sorry to be a pain in the ass, but this is the industry I'm in. Right. Um, And honestly, every time it's a legitimate person, they don't care. They're like, that's fine. We get it. Um, I also, if it is, you know, if it does say an organization, I 
you know, uh, say that before I give any identifying information or, um, you know, money as well or whatever it is that I will call them back on the, I ask who, what their name is. And then Mm -hmm. I will call them back on the phone number that, um, is listed online. If it's something that I want, you know, to pursue, um, (laughs) you know, I, nine times out of 10, it's like, yeah, I'm not interested, but, um, I think that's maybe the first step is just consumer awareness, knowing that caller ID is not always right. Um, not even close. It's very easy to spoof a phone number. I think the next step in that would be to have some accountability. I don't know if it's to the cell phone companies or um, what it's to, to be able to provide that information when it's spoofed. The other thing I was going to say is if you are an online merchant and your call center is receiving spoof numbers, which I would assume it probably is, uh, there is technology out there uh, that can help your um, call center know if that number was spoofed or not. Right. Um, there's even greater technology than that where there's at least two companies I know that have been working on phone fingerprints so or voice fingerprints, so very different than um, a device fingerprint, but actually um, saying this is the person um, who has called before or who we know. Um, doesn't work in every scenario because sometimes you'll have a customer only call once, but there are companies, you know, banks, for example, where that could be very helpful. Um, I did, did a keynote for one of those companies, um, customer, uh, advisory board events in the fall and was really, um, intrigued and encouraged by the new technology that is becoming available. And there were, two out of the four big cell companies in the u.s in attendance there um so i know that you know some of them are it's but some of them just use it for their own internal information and don't pass it on to the consumer yet um but that would be a great thing to push for (laughs) if anyone has any government ties and feels like lobbying for something um i think that that would be very beneficial um it it can be frustrating to be in the U.S. and, and not you know, feel like we're, we're approaching. Done. I don't. I'm, and I know you. I, you keep abreast of the of the news on cybersecurity as much as I do. Mm, and maybe a little bit less, but well, I try. <laughs> but you know, we, we're we're approaching that because there's been some recent articles. You know, we've we've got the whole deep fake on video stuff. That yeah. But now there's there's a lot of attention being given to AI deep fakes of voices. Hmm. So so think about that. If it, and we'll pick on the elderly people. So th- think about that senior citizen that little Billy, the grandson calls and he mm-hmm. tells his grandmother, Hey, I'm in jail. I don't want mom and dad oh, to know yeah. you send me mm-hmm. my bond, the bond money to get out. And it, it sounds just like little Billy. Yeah. So how do you, how do you combat that? So it's, 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 you know, I, I said at the beginning that it's, it's layering on the, on the bad guy's side, but it's also layering on the good guy's side. You know, you have to, you have to spot the phone number, but you have to train consumers to know this as well. But not only consumers, but merchants as well. You know, you've got a lot of uh, a huge amount of phone fraud that takes place at the call center level calling in. So it's it's all these different tools and trainings and everything else that needs to go on to try to combat this stuff. Because mm-hmm. I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is is the people who are committing phone fraud, who are actually calling and, and perpetrating fraud, they are not newbies. Right. They're not. Uh, it, 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 it's not a new guy. It's not an unskilled fraudster or criminal that calls and tries to talk you out of money. It's someone who has committed crime a lot. <laughs> well, I would add one other thing though. There's also groups or companies or I don't even know what you call them, but there are call centers across the world that train their people just like the call centers in the U S like legitimate call centers um, train their people on making these phone calls and they essentially tell their um, staff that this is completely legal or they say the Americans have so much money. So, you know, no biggie stealing it or whatever they say to justify it. Um, Because I do know that there are more and more like illegitimate businesses, but they're basically being run like corporations um, that employ thousands or hundreds of people to just dial for dollars um, and try. And so those people wouldn't necessarily be skilled fraudsters like at the level that you were, but they would be trained enough to sound like any other person from a call center in, 
India, China, you know, so many countries. Sure. Like I'm not meaning to just pick on those Vietnam, Malaysia. I mean, it goes on. And you're right. Um, I mean, that, that is the caveat. At that point, right. it, it's, it's a difference between if you're fishing online, right. between fishing and spear fishing. So fishing is strictly mm-hmm. a numbers game. And if you're, if you're one, running one of these call centers in India or what have you, right. it's not, you, you have the same script. You don't really care what the response is. You're just throwing that stuff out there, but you're dialing. Right. When I worked telemarketing, it was dial and smile. You're dialing <laughs> hundreds of calls a day until you yeah. get that hit. And, and if you're dialing 400 calls, if you only have five people hit, you've made a lot of money for your phone, that specific shift. Mm-hmm. So it's all a numbers game is all that is. It, yeah, and that doesn't require any real skill. That's just, you know, right. hoping you get somebody on the hook that uh, is going to fall for what you're telling them. Right. They're not necessarily social engineering. I mean, I guess they are, but it's not sophisticated. No, not at all. Um, whereas spearfishing, which, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with these terms, fishing really um, applies to when there's um, – actually, you go ahead and do that because – you're the king of fishing. I mean, I know how to explain it and I know what it is, but like, I just stopped myself and was like, why am I not having breaks? Like, no, so so, so if I was, if I was wanting yeah. to, to get someone's credentials or something like that, what I would do or, or try to compromise someone, what I would do is I would look them up on LinkedIn and I would read their, their entire resume on LinkedIn and I would find out who their associates are and I would kind of look at them and everything. Then once I got that, I would go over to someplace like Ben Verified or Spokio or something like that and I'd get the background check on the person. Then I'd look them up on Facebook and I'd, I'd find out every single thing. I'd, I'd spend hours upon hours on Google trying to research this person as much as possible, find out every single thing that I could about that specific person and then I would craft an email based on my knowledge of that person and I would send it out to that person in the hopes that they would click on the link or give up credentials or whatever I wanted them to do at that point. And that's what's called spear phishing. It's a tailored attack targeting one specific person or group of people, a very specific group of people. All right. right. Is, is what that is. Whereas a phishing PA, just a regular phishing email is, is target is it's, it's a mass attack. It's like a scatter shot, you know, instead of mm-hmm. shooting somebody with a nine millimeter, You've got the 12 gauge with birdshot is <laughs> what it is. So that, that's the difference between the two uh, when you're talking about that kind of stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, we've got a lot of consumers that are hit with gift card fraud. Yeah. And okay. So this, this woman goes out and she buys $140,000, $70,000 worth of gift cards. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. I right. mean, that company's been hit so much more. And so have so many other retailers, like, you know, we've mentioned Target and Walmart because they're in the news or made public signs, but there's a lot of others. (laughs) Now now in the UK, Mm -hmm. they can be recompensed through the bank, sometimes the merchant, you know, it's up to the bank to to see what's going on. So the bank has, by, by regulation, has some culpability there. In the United States, what, what can that consumer do? Sure. The consumer is, is the person who went out and bought it, but can they cancel the gift cards? Can they, it's not a chargeback unless they've, they've paid, you know, what's the chargeback rules for that? So how, what type of protections does this consumer have? Because I'm sure it doesn't go along with the protections that the merchant needs either. Yeah. So, um, card rules, card brand rules are actually, um, consistent across the world. Um, it just so happens that individual issuing banks have less rules and the consumers have less tolerance of, um, anything in place for security in the U S, um, as we discussed, um, on a previous episode, but, um, so it, it depends on a lot of factors. Um, if the gift card is purchased online, then that is um, the merchant's liability and the merchant will be paying back the cardholder for all intents and purposes. Sure. Um, whether the cardholder calls the merchant directly or whether the cardholder calls their bank and files a charge back. Um, I know that the merchants would much prefer the cardholder to call them um, because that saves them fees and also, um, sure. you know, the ratio and everything else. Um, if the, if in that scenario, the, fraud is detected quickly, whether that means the cardholder called the merchant right away um, or if they found it. So a lot of times with digital gift cards there, it really depends on the the company, but um, they either have automated rules in place that are really just yes, no, yes, no, because they don't have time to manual review because those fulfill instantly. Um, In some cases, some companies can 
um, kick them over to manual review and not fulfill the gift card until it's been done, but that's, you know, requires some extra steps and, and specific uh, providers. Um, but if they're able to identify the card um, that has the funds on it, they can absolutely claw back the funds. The biggest issue though, is that fraudsters know that. So they'll transfer them to like sure. 400 different cards. And um, back in my analyst days, I would have to, I worked uh, with a very large company that has millions of gift cards in circulation at any time. And we, I was trying to help them automate the process, but it was like so manual because their systems were so out of date right. where you had to, like, once you found the gift card, you would have to manually put in, okay, nope, it went to this gift card number. Okay. Copy paste. Now it went to this card. You're trying to catch them while they're still doing it. And so, um, sometimes they would transfer it, you know, 30 times. Right. Um, and you, that's not sustainable to manually do that. Um, so that's, you know, one example of, you know, you can call that back if you identify it, but you have to identify it quickly and you have to have the technology to be able to do that. Um, moving over to physical gift card purchases. Um, it depends on several different factors. One is, are they purchasing it at the brand company or are they purchasing it at a third party retailer? Sure. Um, like a, you know, grocery store or something. So Using Walmart as an example, because we know they've had this problem um, because of the article. Um, maybe we knew that they had this problem, not because of the article, but that- Of course know, we did. We're saying- <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Of course we did. <laughs> but you know, we're saying their name because of, there's been at least a few articles about it. Um, <laughs> this one, for the, at least we know that they lost $600,000 in this case. We can probably guess that it's a heck of a lot more right. um, across all the states. But um, so using them as an example, what um, I think would, um, so if the consumer purchased Walmart gift cards at um, a grocery store that wasn't Walmart, um, then that company, the grocery, is it the grocery store? Yeah, the grocery store takes the loss. Um, I worked on I knew that so much more like three years ago, sure, but because sure. <laughs> I heard to the gift card company. Okay. But, so, so um, the customer comes in, purchases right. the gift card. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a card present transaction. Right. The person then then says, you know, Hey, I was defrauded. Mm -hmm. So then that person who, uh, who does that person complain to, to the, to the merchant, to the, usually to their bank. Cause they can't call, okay. you know, and then, so I've asked um, a few retailers as well about this because I was a little bit, not sure either. Cause my confusion was why are they asking me about card present when sure. these guys are honestly the, the card, not present fraud managers or directors or whatever. Right. And, um, it really depends. So it honestly is kind of like a fraud hot potato. Nobody wants the loss. Um, right. I mean, everything is, but like in this case, there's some gray area, but, um, usually I would just say buy the card brand rules um, most of the time the issuer is to take the blame or take the liability okay. if, um, if the chip was used. Um, so if the chip was used then, and then it's up to the individual issuer, if they're going to take the liability or if they're going to tell the customer, you know what, it's on you, we're going to, you know, you, we're not going to pay you back. So let me ask you this. How often do we see, and I'm sure it differs from country to country, I guess anyway, how often do we see that they say, they tell the consumer that, Hey, we're not covering that. It's hard to know. I mean, cause I don't know the policies of every single issuer, but I do know that there is more of a chance for consumers to take ultimately the loss and not be right. made whole when it's a card present transaction more than an online transaction or over the phone. Um, the other issue is if, that um, if the merchant doesn't accept uh, chip transactions, if they don't, which I think at this point in the U.S. anyways, like the retailers, you know, they all have them. Right. Um, but if they don't or if, you know, in this case, it's not going to be the fraudster making the purchase. So they're not going to try to damage the chip and default right, to swipe. Right. But um, so it's generally speaking, the issuer and the cardholder. However, there are cases where the merchant it is pushed onto the merchant. And then the other issue is um, it's a brand issue. Like I said earlier, you know, that's sure. a reason why these big merchants are getting involved or why they're working with federal law enforcement, like Walmart did in this case, trying to get 
some good word out of like, Hey, we're trying to take care of this. We're trying to do it. But like people associate it with, they don't say, Oh, I fell for a scam and somebody called me and I fell for it. They say, Oh, Walmart took my money. You know I mean? They, right. That's, right. that's the brand part. Right. So right. Um, that's a harder thing. But the other thing is in other countries, I think, I don't think the scam happens as much. I don't know if it even happens at all because there's so many things to put in place for security um, and consumers primarily, especially in the UK are a lot more savvy. Yeah. Um, they're a lot more suspicious. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is true. <laughs> but I mean, to a certain con- extent, I guess I just kind of assume that like US consumers are probably just the most, I shouldn't say the dumbest, the, the most, the least educated. How's that? They're the least educated and, and they care the least about security. Um, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I do. That, I think that's just from my, from my point of view and from everything I've seen and, and even from people I talk to myself in my own life. Right. So, so um, and, and yeah. here, here's my thing. So the reason I was saying this is, is okay. So we, we tell, because <laughs> we're going to piss people off right here. Uh-huh. We are. We're going to piss are? people off. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're going to piss people off. So <laughs> it, it's you? a fact. Ah, I don't know. Probably both of us. Uh, somebody's <laughs> not going to be happy someplace. Because, because what, what we're going to tell the consumer is, you know, first of all, be aware of what the hell you're doing. Right? Have some culpability. But we also have to tell the consumer, hey, you know, if you do get hit with this, you have some chance of recompense by contacting the issuer or the merchant. Hmm. which goes against protection of the merchant because the merchant in a lot of these cases, the merchant is just a supply and a gift card. Right. Except if you're this stupid ass merchant that decided to sell $140, $500 gift cards to an old lady. Well, it's challenging with card present too, though, because you don't actually know that that's the same person unless it's the exact same card number. Which, you know, probably was. I don't, she doesn't have 140 different cards. <laughs> no, but that's a high limit. Yeah, it um, is. But there's also not a lot of companies are monitoring their card presence. I know. And that is a definite area of vulnerability. I that just certainly recently is. recently worked with a multi-channel retailer that yep. um, it, I definitely had to um, encourage them to uh, take security seriously in their stores as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. If you're not monitoring those card present transactions, guess what? Somebody can come in there and, and take that card and buy 140 of those damn things. Right. Nobody knows it. <laughs> and nobody and, knows but it's it. a matter of resources, right? And if the merchant isn't on the hook for the stuff in store, why, right. you know, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it also doesn't. And I totally agree with both ways. I think at the end of the day, whether it's by phone or whether it's, you know, by phone and then having, encouraging someone to go in store, the reasons for that are very simple and we say it all the time. Fraud is going to go to the path of least resistance. Absolutely. It's like water. And so if you've got all this technology on your website to figure out, you know, what device is it coming from and what email address do they have and all these other things, then they're going to go to the path of least resistance and they're going to have consumers use their actual card. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think it's just critical for any consumer who's listening to know that you cannot believe who's calling you. Uh, based on your caller ID. And also, if you're in the US, the IRS and the Social Security Administration doesn't call you, they send letters. That's right. That's um, right. And they are not going to call you. Right. <laughs> this is the federal government we're talking about. Also, also I'm, I've been very confused and, and I feel bad. Like I, I don't want to seem like I'm heartless towards, you know, these elderly people that get defrauded because Lord knows two of my grandparents have and I even though I'm like face palm, why didn't you call me? Um, I still have empathy um, for them. Like, as you've said before, no one gives consumers a crash course in what they need to know to use the internet, answer the phone, have a credit card, whatever, all of the above. Um, But there is a part of me that says, why do you think that the IRS, what what are they going to do with, you know, $70,000 in gift cards at, a specialty retailer that, you know, just provides. Of, yeah. And I think we can say of iTunes cards, iTunes gets hit, hit all the time. We see it in sure. the news all the time. Somebody bought $12,000 worth of iTunes cards. 
Come on, man. I'm actually laughing because I have a, a certificate <laughs> or a gift card from like that I bought for my nephew, like, I don't even know, like five years ago. And I literally was like, <laughs> it hasn't even been scratched off. And yep. I'm like, does this have value still? Or does anyone even use iTunes? Like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I was just laughing at that because I was like, that is literally face up on my desk right now. In pile. Like, <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. What do you do? Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, 25 bucks. You know, it, it's, it, but, you're right. I mean, it's, and I don't know the psychology of that, that either. I really don't. Well, it, it's a sense of urgency. It's not giving them time to think it's, it's sure. telling them that, oh my gosh, you're going to be in big trouble. Like they just want it to go away. And I, I, mean, you know, I get the script. And, scam. And, and, yeah. I, I guess you've heard, have you, have you been hit with a script before or not where they're saying this? Oh yeah. I'm not okay, this so. exact, but yeah, I've definitely, you know, they, they explain with, that it's to pay yeah. for some bond. Oh, right. Yeah. I, specific to this yeah, yeah right right so and and I, I i guess in some world somewhere that that might make sense if you squint your eyes and you didn't hear it all the way properly and everything else like that but it's it's you know it's it, well, it's a lot of times upsetting. they say that it's a yeah it's a bill like it's you know something that they owe right. um and it has to be paid right away or they're gonna go to jail or some you know that's common but i would imagine that pretty soon once if once if it's kind of a you know one slash if kind of like hopefully that'll happen sure. um that uh you know word gets out that these you know irs and social security administration are not calling for this it'll be someone else right like i mean they're not just going to stop and go away oh, they'll no. figure out a oh. different way i mean i think <laughs> whatever they're calling to say they're from i mean because my god bless her my grandmother last year got hit and i think i explained it on a previous episode last season and um she said, well, they, I knew that the IRS wouldn't call because I saw that on the news, but I didn't know that this, but I, they said they were the social security administration right. and I hadn't heard about that on the news. And I'm like, oh, so now we just have to say, like, I think the best advice and especially tell the elderly people in your life, do not believe, you know, people are not who they say they are on the phone or on the internet. It's oh, just you're a right. You're right. really good rule of thumb. Actually, tell your kids that too, please. But, you know, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I, over on my other podcast, we talk about this kind of stuff, you know, and we've got this, this whole thing where people trust the technology mm. that's given to them without even asking a question. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and we see a news story and we don't even, we don't try to verify the news story. We, we look at the number of likes the story has gotten and we're like, oh, it's got to be right. And it's this, it's some bizarre ass story that because we're trusting the tech that's behind it. And it seems to me that's yeah. what's going on here. And you've got the spooked number. So you're, you're immediately assuming that it's the IRS or the sheriff or the social security administration. And then it just falls from there. You try to scare the person into, you try to get that anxiety up or whatever the case may be. You try to get that kind of stuff. And I just, it, it's, it's mind boggling to me. It really is that, that these types of scams are, are still th not only thriving, but accelerating. And, and, you know, we, you take that, those two idiots in, um, in Utah. What was that? $600,000. Was that what they stole? Something like that? Yeah. Yep. That was the, that was the recorded amount. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, they, they've got them buying gift cards, which that should tell you right there that at least on the bank side, the financial institution side of things, someone somewhere is doing something right because those mm -hmm. two idiots were unable to set up bank accounts to get the victims to send Zelle over and cash out like that. <laughs> You know, so instead of yeah. going to the gift card route. So right. someone, and there's so many something. marketplaces that, um, oh, yeah. that sell, you know, gift cards and um, they would like to say that the majority of them are just people who get a gift card for Christmas and, and don't want it to that store. Yeah. I think the majority of merchants would say, no, you're just basically allowing fraudsters to fence it. But it. I know those guys also experience fraud. So I'm trying to be careful because I know, you know, they may be listening, but um, I've, you know, worked with several of them in the past as well. Um, but yeah, I actually thought it was interesting too, that in this story, it was two Chinese nationals in their um, early thirties. Cause generally speaking, I don't always see stories about um, Chinese people doing uh, payment fraud as often um, as well, other it's Utah. 
Well, <laughs> okay. I don't even know why I just said that. I don't I'm know like, what okay, that I'll means. Just throw it out there. I don't either. <laughs> I feel like Utah is predominantly white. So I don't know why that, yeah. I'm like, if you said San Francisco, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's late in the day for Brett. Maybe People in Utah are going, what? What? I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? I would actually think that would make them stick out more. But um, you know, and then they're obviously, yeah, selling them on those and, um, closed loop gift cards are easier to obtain than sure. open loop, like, you know, ones that have Visa or MasterCard logo on it. Yeah. Um, you did bring up an interesting, two interesting points that I hadn't thought of before. So one is that, um, people are trusting the technology. I don't think I'd ever really thought of it like that. I think I was thinking like that these scammers are really good in getting people to trust them, but no, you're absolutely right. Like the first layer is, yeah. Oh, it says it's the IRS. Oh, it says it's the, you know, municipality or whatever it is. Like it must be legitimate. Um, and same with online scams as well. Um, you know, you've talked at length about how easy it is to create a domain that looks legitimate that sure. isn't um, with various different uh, methods. So um, that was one thing I thought was was interesting, an interesting takeaway, and and one that I hope that people can solve over time. Um, you know, at the end of the day right now, consumers are the weakest link, so we need to be informing them. Right. Um, which is one of the reasons why we chose this topic on the podcast. Um, the other thing that you brought up was I never actually thought about the fact that there is one entity that would see all of this traffic. Like if somebody's buying, you know, fifty two hundred dollar gift cards or, you know, in the right. extreme case over a hundred, five hundred dollar right. gift cards. There's one entity that would see all of that, yes, assuming there is. it's on one credit card or even two, <laughs> and that is the issuing banks. That's um, right. I don't have enough insight into their processes to know if this is something that they're looking for. Um, and it is difficult as well. They don't always know that, that the person's buying gift cards, right? Um, because the information that's transferred, especially from a card present transaction to the bank, is just the name of the merchant and the amount. They don't know what's being purchased. You're right. Um, so, but, but I would imagine <laughs> if you saw 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, and they've never shopped at the store before, especially. Exactly. Um, especially the one that I said, the 500, you know, the $140, $500 gift yeah. cards. It's not common for them to have elderly people go to their, into their stores. And it's certainly Generally, not common to spend $70,000 there. <laughs> No, no, I mean, that's a lot of grandchildren because <laughs> their their common market is like I don't know. I would if I were willing to guess, I'd say like sixteen to forty five. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've shopped there. Yeah, yeah. You know? So like you know, it's but yeah. So like the you know that would be you know it would be abnormal to have yeah. you know someone in their sixties, seventies, eighties go into the store and make a purchase like especially that much. Yeah. Um, they might buy one thing, but not, or, you know, all of it. So I think that overall, I mean, we need to have consumers be less trusting. I think that it's very important for merchants to be educating their consumers on this. I think I've said this before, but I will continue to say it. I think that any online company or even retailer, you know, in person, who goes out of their way to educate consumers on um, scams and ways that you know they can protect themselves? I think is nothing but a win. I I don't I think there are definitely ways to do it without making it seem like this company is not safe. I think if anything, it actually makes you trust them more um, because you feel like they're watching out for you, even if they're also watching out for their bottom line. Um, and then the well, last you know, thing is if you're an issuer, you know, maybe look into some tools that you can do this because especially if they're card present transactions, you're going to be on the hook for them, or at least you're going to be having difficult conversations with your card holders, which oh, yes, you are. <laughs> then is probably, you know, I think I wouldn't be willing to guess that they probably make exceptions for, you know, people that put a lot of money on their credit cards, but that they don't cover them all. And right. that, um, right. And, you know, you, you made a, you made a really interesting point about, you know, you have to educate your customers, right? You, you have to, uh, if you're a merchant, the chances, uh, you know, if a customer gets hit online, you're going to, you're going to pay for that. If you're, if the customer's not educated, 
And if you're hit in person, you're going to take a hit on your brand. Yes. Um, yes. Big time. They're going to say, how come you didn't, how come the person working there didn't tell me that this is, right. you know, why didn't they do it? I was at a random, a grocery store last week. I just thought of this now. And uh, I don't go to the store very often, but it's near um, one of the appointments I have, you know, on some regular basis. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll stop in and um, the, there's one uh, cashier there that has been there a very long time and who very much cares about their job. And I, I love that. I absolutely right. love that. Um, and she was so excited that she helped a little old lady um, not fall for one of these scams um, because she was purchasing five gift cards to a, another company that really has a younger demographic and they were high dollar. And so she just started chit chatting with her and was right. like, Hey, what was it? What's this for? Is somebody's birthday coming up? I mean, you can train your staff in it's extra customer service. You're not saying you're not shining a flashlight in their face and saying, who are these for? Why are you buying them? No, you're training them just to like help the, also help the person double think like if they have to explain it to someone, they might actually hear how dumb it is. You're right. Um, When my other grandmother was asked to wire money to Vietnam, the first store she went to actually told her, you know, do you know this person is this, um, you know, it was a wire transfer, but at a retail store in her town. And, you know, they started asking her questions. And so they wouldn't wire it for her. And when she got back home, the guy called her and said, where's my money? And she said, oh, they told me, you know, that I probably shouldn't. And he said, okay, we'll go to, he Googled another store in her town that actually um, was for um, Spanish speaking people. And so he knew that they wouldn't ask any questions if a little old white lady came in and, and asked to wire a few thousand dollars to Vietnam. So he sent her there and she didn't think, Oh, okay. That store wouldn't give it to me. So it must be fraud. Like, but (laughs) I think that (laughs) I would like to think that not everyone is as stubborn as, you know, the people that are in my lineage. Um, (laughs) Well, they are there, right? right? They are. They are. Yeah. But at least like there was that stopgap, right? And at least she then thought, well, that company tried to protect me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You gave two excellent examples during the show so far of how to train the consumer. You know, you've got the sign that's up there saying, hey. Do you know the person you're buying this gift card for? Then you've got the, the training, the customer service to, to not lambast the person, but just to be friendly and ask these, these questions. And that's, right. I had a, a very similar conversation with one of the companies I'm consulting with right now about the importance of training the consumer. And it doesn't have to be a long drawn out process. And it can't be simply because the consumer is not going to sit there and pay attention to that crap. It has to be something pithy, something short, something just bam, bam. And that's it. And when you've got a sign like mm-hmm. that up there that says that, that, that is enough sometimes to where they're like, well, no, I don't really know the person. And maybe they'll ask a question at that point of, of right. the, of the rep behind the desk. Yeah. And, and at that point that, that customer service person needs to be properly trained on how mm-hmm. to handle that and said, Oh, don't worry about it. No, 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 no. You right. don't know the person. Okay. What's going on here? And, mm-hmm. and I would argue, it. actually, do both, right? Exactly. Like, you know, because exactly. you can't ensure that everyone's going to read the sign at the register, right. and you can't ensure that every single customer service, you know, cashier is going to do that. But if there's enough, and I think the other piece, like the key piece, when you're training customer service, um, whether it's on the phone or in person, is explain to them why. I feel like once you explain to them what's happening and why you'll get the best line of defense, like your first line of defense, because they will care and be invested and they'll want to protect your company and help you. They'll be the first line of defense and it'll be helpful to you. I know that marketing departments um, and internal communications departments like to um, not allow these types of things. And I think my argument would be show them what Walmart's doing, show them what Target's doing, tell them, hey, these guys are leaders in our retail industry 
God knows they're probably getting hit even more than we are. Here's this. Or also explain to them, well, our brand is being tarnished by these yes. people. Like there's, if you really care about the brand, which I know those departments do very much, which would you rather have a narrative out there? Gosh, XYZ company, just let me get scammed and now I'm on the hook for it. Or XYZ company helped save me from falling for a scam. And I'm so grateful that they did. You'll get a more loyal customer oh, yeah. out of that. And they will and tell everybody tell, about it. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> They're going to tell people about it either way. So wouldn't yep. you rather them say, wow, they really protected me. And I, I feel like there needs to be a change of strategy in marketing departments, PR departments, can, um, communications departments. And I will probably say this a lot this um, season, especially just because I field so many questions from merchants who are like, the fraud department can't put all this on our shoulders. Like we're not the only ones, you know, that we can't do it all. Um, right. You know, your hands are tied. We've got a very um, small focus. Um, so those are, you know, those are some of the things. And then I think too, you know, like I said, the issuing bank side, if they are not, you know, monitoring, they should. I think the third thing that can be done on the consumer side is also about, you know, around online, right? So if you're seeing a huge spike in online gift card purchases that look suspicious, um, which I guess I should probably narrow it down because there's always going to be a high number of suspicious <laughs> online fraud, duh. Um, especially for digital gift cards. But, um, you know, just in general, I think it's just good, you know, maybe it's a note on your shopping cart page that just says, Hey, you know, are you buying this for someone, you know, um, there are things you can put in place. And I don't think that merchants ever think like that as much. Like how can we help educate our customers and not just put all of it on us? Um, because at the end of the day, fraudsters don't care whose liability it is. They just don't care. No, they, they don't care where the money's kept. Like they just, they just want the item and they just want the money. Like they don't care if it's the merchant, the issuer, the cardholder. So a lot of times they're all getting hit in different ways. And then at the end of the day, you kind of have to piece together. Okay. Based on the existing rules that were probably created years before any of these types of scams existed. Um, you know, who's picking up the tab. It, it's a challenge. It is. <laughs> so if every part, if every piece played a little bit more of a part, in this specific fraud, as well as other kinds of fraud as well, um, it would it would make a dent. It would make it so that this isn't the path of least resistance. It would make it so it basically goes somewhere else because we all know we're not trying to outrun the bear, um, but and that we never can outrun the bear, but it would definitely um, reduce this issue that is just, I mean, I don't even know. It's tens of millions of dollars of losses at this point. Um, and I feel like this has been around maybe under a year. I mean, this big, I, I'm sure it's always been around, but like, it's sure. really skyrocketed. Uh, I get a lot of questions about it quite a bit. And those are my, my biggest tips for advice. Now, let me ask you something, because that was one of the things, um, <clears throat> you know, last week we had, uh, you, you had some issues going on. I, I did a solo episode. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I mentioned during that, uh, was this, this idea that I've got, and I, I think it's a correct idea, of, of how regulation mm -hmm. sometimes opens up new pathways. You know, like we talked about uh, uh, this, this reshipper fraud in our second episode, mm -hmm. and how it, it you know, I, we were doing that when I was a carter, then it died out, and then it came back because banks were no longer, the onus was no longer on them, it was now on the merchants, mm -hmm. which kind of opened this door again. And I'm wondering if we're seeing something similar with that, with this gift card resurgence, this, this, this big blossom in that is you think it may be because there's some regulation, some new rule change somewhere that's, that's changed the onus from, from one of, of those groups that are, have, have been historically hit to another one. And no, okay. I don't think so. Cause I, I mean, and I didn't mean to like sound so cold there. I no, just, no, no. um, <laughs> I, I don't think so. Cause again, the bad guys don't care who owns it. Right. So it's not, and it's not like, I don't, I don't think that the majority of banks or merchants are trying to just like kick stuff over the fence. Like they don't really have control over where the fraud comes in, whether it's where they're liable or where they're not. Um, I think what is more at play is the technology being used online um, to stop fraud. 
I think that we've gotten better at that. So therefore they go back to low tech, okay. Um, okay. which we've talked about before. I, at least I think so. I think in some ways regulations can cause more different types of fraud. Um, for example, there have been merchants worried about GDPR and CCPB. So sure. the California Consumer Protection Bureau and the um, global data uh, privacy regulations, I think it is. I used to know it. Uh, right. Sorry, right. guys. Somebody's probably screaming at the radio or, you know, <laughs> at, their, <laughs> at the podcast. If I got it wrong, I'm sorry. It's been a couple years or at least a year and a half since I really like, you know, wrote out what it stood for. But um, for instance, general data been, protection regulation. See there. Okay. General. Okay. That was global, but yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Thank you. Um, I can't Google and talk at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for doing that for me. Um, but there, in both of those, it allows the consumer to um, have the right to be forgotten um, where they have all their information scrubbed off of the database, um, assuming that that's possible for those companies. Um, European companies are supposed to have that ability uh, now. Um, and then, and also companies that, you know, based in the US, but process in you know those companies in those countries. Um, with California, consumers are able to reach out to companies that have their data on file to find out what they have and then ask to be removed. Um, the concern for a couple of years, I feel like there's always been at least one or two people at a conference who ask me either in public, like at a you know, when I'm speaking or afterwards, um, what happens if a fraudster does that? What happens if a fraudster um, in the EU goes to the trouble of reaching out to every company that they defrauded and says, Hey, I have the right to be forgotten. Scrub my device ID, scrub my email, scrub my name, scrub everything about, and obviously it's not going to be their actual information so that link analysis doesn't work. Um, right. There is a caveat for GDPR that says that for um, fraud prevention purposes, you're able to keep that stuff on file. But what if the company hasn't identified it as fraud? Um, and same with California, you know, some people are worried that fraudsters are going to pose as those customers and ask for all the data they have on file for them. That's a great way to get a lot of rich information. Well, sure. Sure. It is. Um, probably more than you'd ever get on Spokio or Ben verified or anything else. Um, and especially considering how much data some of these companies have on right. people. So, um, that those are concerns and I'm not too worried about voicing them on the podcast because I know that these are things that have already been discussed in public and all of that. Right. But um, so those would be examples of regulations. Created and see what, what, what I'm, fraud. you know, like, like you take, and I know we're running short on time, mm -hmm. but say synthetic fraud. So yeah. synthetic fraud really blossoms because the social security administration, they decided they were going to stop one specific type of identity fraud. Right. And it blows up. And you, then you look over at the IRS fraud. So, you know, the federal government's really big on combating IRS fraud and it leaves the door wide open for social security benefit takeover at yeah. that point. And, and even, and or then, student loan fraud or, or student yeah. loan fraud or mm -hmm. all these other doors are open at that. And, and, you know, my thought is, is, is that, and I, I agree, a, a fraudster does not care who is liable. They don't care who they're hitting as long as at right. the end of the day you have cash in pocket. I agree with right. that. But, you know, I, I keep looking back at like this reshipping thing and I'm like, okay, so when I was doing that exact same type of fraud, the banks really locked stuff down. They really did. And it went away or it died down for, for, for a long time until all of a sudden we get to where the onus is put on the merchants and the banks don't have to worry about it as much. And maybe the banks don't put as much dollars into that anymore because, you know, they don't have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. The merchants have say, to watch over it. Yeah. Yeah. To correct, correct it a tiny bit. Um, the merchants have always been liable for card sure. present transactions. Um, but what was, what I've definitely commented on is I noticed that pre 2008, 9, 10, when there was a recession in the US, um, and I know, it, you know, to some extent it was global as well. Um, I noticed a change where it used to be that on the merchant side, we would identify something and then the bank would probably right around the same time we'd identify it would be calling the customer and saying, hey, did you make this purchase? And then they would, you know, um, cancel it or void it or turn sure. off the card. Um, they were proactively protecting their customers, even though for online transactions, it was always on the merchant. 
Um, what I saw happen during that time was when banks needed to cut costs because they were losing so much in other areas of their business, like mortgages, et cetera. Right. Um, that was an area that they felt like they could cut because at the end of the day, it wasn't them that took the liability. I wouldn't say that it was because the liability was put in place. I would say that it was a business decision saying, well, are we really losing money here? Sure. Um, this is anecdotal, but I feel like there was a huge shift in even just the number of customers saying, hey, my bank called me. Um, I would say the exception is Amex um, and sometimes Discover, as well as some of the um, more boutique bins, like bank identification numbers of like, um, you know, the cards that um, have a private jet program or whatever. Um, sometimes they'll be a little more concierge um, not that that's a word, but more like concierge um, in saying, hey, you know, we just want to let you know, like they do see that as a value to people with high dollars who are putting just tons and tons of money on their cards and then paying it off at the end of the month. Um, but, or, you know, paying it off quickly, but um, it, it's not as common. And I don't think that has to do with regulation. I think that had to do with prioritization. Okay. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. But I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter the cause, yeah, right? Really you still have the problem. Right, right. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I'm a fraud historian. <laughs> and because I can also name the exact uh, month and date that friendly fraud skyrocketed and the cause of why that happened. So yeah, you got to love that. Um, you know, we need to do like, another episode on that because I, I read yeah. recently that the number one fraud trend right now is friendly not fraud. Not delivered or. Oh yeah. <laughs> Not shipped. Well, actually I have a whole rant on that because I actually heard of, that a vendor uh, told one of my former clients that my definition of friendly fraud was not correct. And she said, in my industry, Ooh. the fraud prevention industry, that's not right. And I was like, oh, oh want to go? Oh, yeah, <laughs> so that let's... would be a pretty good conversation. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, was, I actually restrained from, I showed some restraint from like posting it on LinkedIn last week because I wanted to be like, <clears throat> this company, I almost pulled a breath. Like this company claims that friendly fraud is only when um, a family member steals that person's card. What? And yeah. And she said in her industry, which was the fraud industry, that was universal. And I also very much believe that because of the company that it was, that that was probably what they were told to say. Um, but I was livid because a, that was not, not only was that very different than what I had worked with my clients on for months, but right. also the fact that that's not what I hear in the industry. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I do think actually, I think we have our next episode. Well, there you go. <laughs> Let's get that in. You ready to close this one out? I think so. Yeah. All right. That is it for our episode today. We thank you for joining us and we hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got a lot of topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Tell your friends and we really need you to rate and review us wherever you can. And that helps other people, you know, learn about these topics as well. Uh, we want to hear what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. I actually got an awesome uh, LinkedIn message from one of our favorite listeners uh, today with like three different topics that they're um, hoping that we cover soon and we will. Um, so please do more of that. Uh, the easiest way to find both of us is um, online. Um, of course, sorry, that was silly. On LinkedIn. <laughs> it's <laughs> easiest to find to us online. Can <laughs> <laughs> feel free to take that out. I, it's the end of my day and I'm starting to get loopy. I no, let's leave that in. I like that. Of course. <laughs> The best way to find us is on like Facepalm. Okay. Best way to find us is individually on LinkedIn. That's what I was going to say. Um, we also have an online broadcast um, podcast or I cannot talk today. Online broadcast Facebook group. Oh my gosh. Brett, take it away. Just close us out because I think I'm done now. Until next time, <laughs> stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.